You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, it's good to be here. So today's theme is a bigger table. And as I share this with you today, I want to be clear that I'm not sharing this uh, to people who aren't doing this. I'm sharing this with people who already are hospitable. And I want to talk about a way to expand your table now. Because when I think of Alabama, um, my family was raised in a military family. We were transferred to what they call LA, Lower Alabama, to, (laughs) to Fort Rucker, to Enterprise. And when I start talking about it, I have to be careful because an accent comes back. We lived there for five years and um, we were embraced by the community. And my mom had left us earlier, uh, a year before we were transferred there. So it was just my dad and three girls. And my younger sister was one and a half. Um, well, I guess she was two and a half by the time we moved there, two and a half, three. I was, I was going in fifth grade and my older sister was just about to start high school. And that's when we were shipped there. And uh, the community in Alabama, who at first, when they would call our house, I couldn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> they took us in and they gave us a home and it became home for us. It was transformative in my life. So when I think of hospitality, Alabama is one of those places that I have this unreasonable love for you all because I come here and I hear the accent and I'm welcomed around a table again and I go, oh, these are my people. (laughs) You created home for us. And I know that there is a world out there that longs to be welcomed to a table and they are convinced that they're not worthy of it. They're convinced that they have to clean up and look better before they're ever invited in. So today we're gonna look at what did Jesus do? So, as we look at this, I'm gonna begin, yes, I'm using all this handwritten notes in my notebook. I managed to break my arm some weeks ago, and so I actually find this easier to work with right now than a computer. I cannot awkwardly type with my left hand. It's terrible. Um, So very first thing, we often, as a head of a missions organization, we constantly think about why Jesus came. And as churches, we often talk about why Jesus came. So you think of two really big important things. Like in Mark 10, he says, uh, Jesus came not not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? absolutely true. Another one, Jesus came came to seek and to save the lost. That's Luke 19. Really clear, straight to the point. All of that is true. And yet today we're going to talk about a third thing. We're going to talk about how he came because we know why he came and you know it down deep because he saved you. You know this. You understand salvation. But how did he come? And how he came is expressed at Luke 7, when Pharisees are really, really grumpy about Jesus and his disciples. And they're talking about how uh, John and his people fast and pray. 
And Jesus is saying, and yet you still don't think he's of God. And yet the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. Do you want to know how Jesus did his ministry? You just heard the how. He came eating and drinking. That's what we're talking about today. There's something about, so think about hospitality in your own lives. Think about when, like what is one of the most hospitable tables you've ever been around? Can you picture it? And it might not necessarily be a table. So like for me, early, early on, my parents were not Christians, but my grandparents were. And I didn't know at the time that I was watching the kingdom lived out, but I knew it was different because they had, we're from the Ozark Mountains of Missouri, hillbillies. <laughs> and they had this old service station and a motel, the Kerbo Motel and service station and the little country store that went with it. And their house was built onto the back of it like they used to in those days. And there was this long counter with little twirling stools in front of it. And whatever my grandmother was making for dinner that night was also offered on the menu to anyone that came through. So I sat at that counter next to people from every kind of life. And everyone was welcomed. And they would sit at the counter and I would sit up there and I would hear their stories. I love to hear their stories. And it was everyone from truck drivers to newlyweds, you guys. Everyone was welcomed the same. Every color ate at the counter. And I didn't know that that wasn't supposed to happen yet. All of what, everyone was welcomed. I learned radical hospitality at my grandparents' place. And their table was this long counter. Then Alabama, I learned radical hospitality in a new way. Uh, my family was broken. It was hard. We were moved away from my mother. And I thought, this is, this is a horrible place. This is a terrible place. How could we ever love this place? And people welcomed us and made us part of their homes and they invited us to dinners. I can't even tell you. It's where I learned about dinner on the grounds at a church. I never knew that. Um, it's also where my family came to faith. And we were welcomed around a table. I experienced radical hospitality in Guatemala on missions trips where I would take kids and they would go stay the night at people's homes. And they were transformed when families would go without food in order to serve them a meal because they wanted to give them honor. They expanded their tables with the little that they had. I just, it's story after story after story, but here, like, Kelly Holsey is one of my partners at Praise for Me, and at her house, while she's got this great dining room table and I've had wonderful meals there, it's in her kitchen as she's making a tea that she thinks I'll like, right? That I experience hospitality on a new level. It's in Bethany's house. The last time I was here, when Francis and I get to sit and it's just the three of us at her little table with her amazing cooking, don't tell people, but she's so good. And we sit and we tell stories. There's something about a table where you're eating together instead of serving someone that levels the playing field. Jesus knew this. 
instead of just finding ways to serve the poor, Jesus ate with the poor. There's something about being together at the table that says we're the same. There's something about this that connects us. In fact, the word, I love this, the word companion in Latin comes from two words, cum, which means together, and panis, which means bread. Companionship happens around the table. And then when you think about the Last Supper, I mean, you can just take that all kinds of directions, right? It is powerful. So what does this have to do with you guys? Well, you can also think of times when you have experienced being shut out, it being inhospitable. Sometimes it's very purposeful. Sometimes it's accidental. Michael Jun tells a story because we laugh so hard. He's our um, Asia director. He's from Korea. And he's coming from a series of very long flights from Asia. He's welcomed into someone's home who is very hospitable, very kind. And they ask him, you must be tired and hungry. And he said, oh, no, I'm fine. And they said, oh, good. And they sent him to bed. And he was starving. The problem is, in Korea, it is impolite to say yes the first time. You have to ask three times. And only after the third time can you say, Oh, now that you mention it, yes, I am a little hungry. If you say yes the first time, you're very rude. So poor Michael, he goes, I didn't know what to do. I was so hungry. <laughs> so he went to bed hungry. So unintentional, <laughs> unintentional, but inhospitable, all the same, right? But then we've had times when you've been shut out purposefully. And while you might even be allowed in, they're going to let you know that you're not quite fitting, that you're not quite welcome. And so you also have those moments. So now I want you to start picturing the people God is bringing in your life that deeply desire to be part of. And you might not see them yet, but God is bringing them across your path. And so uh, where do I want to go with this? Let me just give you, so I've been going through the book of Luke, and I just want to recommend these. This is the book of Luke in what is called a Bible journal. So each page has the Bible and a place to journal next to it. So when you want to do a deep study, you can write all through it, and you've got it then. So recommend that, because <laughs> that way you don't worry about messing up your Bible. And you have different studies for different subjects. You're going through, if you're like me and a little geeky, you might keep those things. Um, so as you go through the book of Luke, you would notice something. And Bethany's got a group that's been doing this, so I bet they've noticed. As you go through Luke, you can count on meals. Jesus and his disciples are either at a meal, or they're on their way to a meal, or they're on their way home from a meal. And when they're not doing that, he's telling stories about meals and using those to illustrate the kingdom. Like, it cannot be overemphasized. I challenge you to go through. And you'll see different themes. You're going to see meals as enacted grace. Meals as enacted mission. Meals as enacted um, mercy. You're going to see all um, enacted promise at the end of Luke. Enacted hope. These are all things that happen around the table with Jesus. I challenge you to go through Luke and read those passages and see Jesus is never just happens to be eating. 
at every one of these meals, you're going to see him intentionally demonstrating the kingdom of God because Jesus doesn't just talk about the feast of the kingdom the way the Pharisees did. Instead, he enacts it and invites you into it. He says the kingdom is here. Well, that's what you get to do now. That same Holy Spirit, that same thing that Jesus did, he said, you get to do this. You have this opportunity to not just talk about the kingdom of God, but to demonstrate it with the people around your table. Um, so how do I want to do this with you? There's so many different things in here. As you look at what was going on through Luke, you see the Pharisees, they were still in a place of mourning about the loss of God's presence and longing for that kingdom and longing for that freedom. And then Jesus comes in and he's saying the kingdom is here and he's feasting. And so you have this contrast from a time of mourning and fasting and people putting rules in place to try and make a people holy enough that they think that they can now approach God, that he'll be here now. To Jesus who says, he'll never be holy enough, that's the point. He brings it for us. It's a gift to us. And he says, and you can feast now because the kingdom of God is here. So around your tables, you get to do what my grandparents did before I recognized it. You get to create holy ground. You get to create space. And so how do you do this? You've got, you've got 21 meals a week, you guys, that you eat. We're Americans, we eat a lot. <laughs> 21 meals a week. So can you, can you take one meal a week where you intentionally do it with someone who's not a believer, where you include them? And you think this is easy and, or scary, or I can't tell where you are in this, but this is what I know. A lot of people that are involved in church are very involved in church. And all of a sudden, they don't find a way to make friends outside of church. That becomes a struggle because you think, how do I get to know people then? And it really depends on where you are in life, right? If you're a mom with young preschoolers, you meet them in certain ways. If you've got teenagers, you meet them desperately in other ways. If, you, if you're older and, or retired, I'm 58, I meet people very differently. But I still work with college students, so I meet them in lots of ways. So it just depends on where you are in life. So um, the first step would be this, just pragmatically. How do you expand your table? There's, I'm going to give you three different ways, all right? So there's, you can, um, some of you are in neighborhoods where your neighbors actually talk to each other. Or your neighbors walk dogs, and so they at least do that. And so one of the ways that you can think about expanding your table is you literally make a map of your neighborhood. Just not your whole neighborhood, but the houses on each side of you and across from you. And you begin to write on your map the names of your neighbors. And you begin to pray for them. That's all you start with. You map it out and you begin to pray for them. Because I'll bet you have some neighbors that don't know Jesus. And then you begin to look for ways to just see them and notice them. So you prayer walk your neighborhood. That doesn't mean you're praying out loud. Prayer walking is not, oh Lord, just let this couple that's living together just see their sin and move apart. 
not it. <laughs> Instead, it's walking and praying that God would bless these people, these neighbors of yours. And as you do that, you're going to find yourself praying specific things as the Holy Spirit leads you in surprising ways. And when you get back from that walk, make a note on your little sheet. And you're going to be surprised at how the Holy Spirit directs you. And then it's silly things. It's as you take your garbage out to the curb, you lift up your eyes and look around. And you say hello to someone. If you're walking a dog, you're finding ways to connect within your neighborhood. That's one way. Okay, now there's another. Because some of you, your neighbors, you're going, this is not going to work for us at all. It's a lovely thought, Cheryl. So here's another. Um, I do spheres of influence. I, I actually do both of these, but it's because I'm geeky. I do, the tactile things of houses and writing the names on it, I found very helpful. Because it, it made me realize who I didn't know that was right next to me. I went, well, that's kind of embarrassing. So I began to get to know people. So then I also look at spheres of influence. Um, because all of you have places in your life where you're encountering people. And it could be something as simple as, you shop at the same grocery store, so there's certain people you get to know at the grocery store. It might be where you get coffee. If I love coffee, and so I have specific places I love coffee, like I love local coffee places, and so they'll know me. Um, now, the Starbucks that was closest to our offices, <laughs> that it was the only coffee place around forever. I'm getting coffee one day there, and this perfect stranger walks up to my table because I'm working from there because our internet was down. And this person walks up and said, hey, I was told that if I asked, you would pray for me. So I look up at the counter and all the baristas look the other way. <laughs> I thought, how? How did they even know? And I went, yeah, yeah, I would do that. <laughs> and then I thought back because there'd been a conversation a couple months before with uh, one of the baristas and she told me, she'd asked me something, I'd been in there with some students and I said, oh yeah, I would do student ministry. She goes, oh, I would love to do that, but I just don't think Jesus is the only way. And I said, well, that would put a damper on youth ministry, yeah. <laughs> she lost it, she laughed so hard and the rest of them did. That was our whole conversation. Well, from that, they began watching me and I didn't realize. You guys, you have these, spheres of influence you don't know you have. It might be where you work out. It might be where you stand around this place after you drop off your kids for preschool. It might be. So I want you to stop and think. And it's again, it helps if you draw this out. Grab a piece of paper and begin to make circles and think about your spheres of influence. And again, God's going to begin showing you things. Because they're more than you realize. And then here's a third way. Are you ready? One of these. I'm just challenge you. Pick up one. The third way I find, I, lo I love this, but that's because I like to go do things. I tend to be somewhat hyperactive. So, um, so for instance, next week I'm heading to an art museum. Um, and I've got two students going with me. Who, college students who, who aren't against God, they just don't understand them. And so we're going to an art museum together, and you're thinking, I don't know how that is helpful. <laughs> I want to challenge you that all of these activities that you do, 
Um, if you do Christian book clubs, what if you went to one that wasn't Christian, that was secular, and as you're in that book club, you have opportunities to see themes of redemption and books that no one would see it in. You have opportunities to share about your life and how you've overcome something that these books talk about, but you do it in a different way. All of a sudden, you have this bridge and this open door, and you've expanded your circle. Because how? How can you invite people who are sinners to your table if you don't know any? And yet, if we're to be disciples like Jesus, they didn't say just that he was the only one that came eating and drinking. Later, they say, and look at your disciples. They eat and they drink. And they do it with sinners. They actually said, Luke says, they do it with others. The Pharisees said they do it with sinners. They redefined it. They wanted to be clear who these others were. If you're having trouble thinking about who the others are in your life, expand your circle. Join a book club that's not Christian. Go to an art gallery and invite people that aren't believers. And it's not an exhibit of Christian paintings. It's an exhibit of art. And God is so faithful because he tells you he reveals himself all the time. And he does it through art. He does it through music. He does it through um, creation itself, as well as through his word, as well as through your life and through your testimony. And you don't have to look for big, broad statements about who God is in salvation because they don't need to hear that yet. But there's a world out there that would love to know that when you came to Jesus, you were broken and that you were sinful, that you weren't cleaned up and perfect, that in fact you would walk with someone in that same way because you're the same. There's a world that longs to know that, that needs a meal that embodies hope, that says this isn't all there is. A meal that says there's a promise of better things to come and this is how I know it. And you earn that right to be heard because, because you're sharing your own life. So as I'm getting ready to go to this museum with these girls, someone asked me, are you, are you preparing your, they call them Shema statements, are you preparing your statements about who God is? And I thought, no, I'm not. <laughs> but I am praying already that the Lord just breaks through in our time together next week. And that he gives me opportunities to talk about his light and his love. Because that's what they need to know. And then from there, things change. So your table doesn't have to be in your house. Sometimes it is. Because being welcomed into a home, especially if you have people from other cultures coming in, that is huge. You cannot overestimate it. It is like, as, at the time this was written, Mediterranean culture, eating around a table, being invited to someone's table, was a huge deal. You never invited someone from another social class. That would be inappropriate. And there are a lot of rules to follow, and you'll see all those rules through, rules through Luke. But um, inviting someone from another culture into your home, even if it's for tea, you guys, is huge. There's a 
a, a leveling there, a welcome that as Americans, it's hard to express. Um, but some of us aren't in places where we can invite him to our home. Like right now, I have a shared home with my sister and niece and brother-in-law. And so it's not always easy to just welcome lots of people into my house. Um, I mean, we do it anyway, but you know, I'm infringing on other people's space then. So in that case, I have found other places to go. And it might be a cup of coffee with someone that's in your favorite place. But something that personalizes it for, personalizes it for you changes the tone. Like you're inviting them to a place that you love. That's different than going to a place that neither of you know. <laughs> like inviting them into your life a bit is what you're doing. It might be so... Um, there's a book that I absolutely love called Meals with Jesus. A Meal with Jesus, such a great book. Um, but he talks about how there was a family that uh, they were trying to figure out where could they go, what could they do. And there was a little Kurdish restaurant that was tiny. And so they started showing up there and they began making friends. They expanded their table to outside their home. So and they're in the Kurdish restaurant. This is here in the U.S., and they get invited upstairs to the casino. And they think in their heads, oh, I wonder what this is, I don't know. But they're gonna take that big risk and go. So they did, they went up the stairs, really nervous about what it was gonna be. And by casino, the Kurds meant they play backgammon and have Turkish tea. <laughs> that was their casino, that was their game place. And so they started going to the casino with them. They would eat in the restaurant. They would play backgammon and have tea. For two years, they did that before a Bible study broke out of that group because they wanted to know. So it does take time, but that expansion of your table. So that is your big assignment today is I want you to think through your spheres of influence or your neighborhood or what you're doing in life that you can invite someone along that's, that's not a believer or a group that you can join that's a secular group and where you can see God break into that because you can trust his redemptive theme is going to show up. When you take that step, he is so, so faithful. So let me read to you about when Jesus did this just because it's such a good story. Oh, don't, that one's sorry, I'm deciding. Oh, I do want to say, sorry, as I flip this open and decide where I'm going. Um, Jesus, his, his picture of the kingdom and how we're called to do this same thing, you get to see in the feeding of the 5,000. Because in your head, you're thinking, Cheryl, that's all lovely, but it's really scary and I don't have enough and I don't know the things to say. I don't know how to meet people. Jesus anticipated this. And in the feeding of 5,000, you've got people who are hungry and tired. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he tells them to feed them. He's been doing feasts. He's been eating with people. It's their turn. But they don't have anything. And he says, take what you have. He makes it enough, you guys. How he has made you, how he has gifted you, 
He's going to take that and multiply it every time you take that step in faith. Every time that you're willing to do this, you're going to be amazed to see how he multiplies it. And that it's not just enough, but it's more than enough. That there's 12 baskets left over, which represent every single tribe. There's more than enough. Because it's, it's for more than the people sitting right here. They're going to be sharing it with the people outside of here. There's more than enough. You already are more than enough. So after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You're not going to sit around your table and point out someone's sin to them. You're sitting around a table and saying, oh, this is who I am. And Jesus accepted me. He made me a new creation. And all of a sudden, it gives them hope. So however Jesus is calling you to expand your table, I want to say, I'm doing this with you. I'm doing the same thing in Orlando that we're doing all over the world that you're called to do right here as partners in missions, in ministry. And God is bringing people right across your path that you just haven't realized. And so expand your table. So I guess as our, um, I'm sure it's been long enough, I didn't start my clock because I'm a slacker. Um, <laughs> at your table, I would love for you just to do a quick discussion and say, which one of these ways you go that one? I think I could take that one step and decide what that step would be. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.